Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Greetings. Uh, Welcome to the Property Duo Season 2. I'm here with... Uncle James, as many of you like to call me. Jamesy, Jamesy, James. And uh, we are going to discuss legals today. Now... Our special guest is our conveyancer and or solicitor that me and James have worked with. Uh, I've worked with him over a lot of a lot of deals actually, and so I'll introduce him later. But before he comes on and and just dazzles us with legal words for the avoidance of doubt, uh, and we ask him some interesting questions that we all want to know about solicitors, and we maybe demystify the legal profession a little bit for you. Although it's quite nice to be a bit mystical. Me and James are going to talk about legal stuff and solicitors stuff that is so important and you need of course to buy a property and you need to sell a property and you need to do a remortgage and etc etc these are very very important people in your team james your solicitors how have you how have you found them have they come through referrals or reviews or something else or what it's taken a long time for me to get a good power team of solicitors together, you know. So I've got um, I've got a very, very good one. I've got a kind of medium one, and I've got one that I'll use when I'm absolutely desperate. And I think, oh, is, is, all... that, is, is that our posh uncle? <laughs> is, that, is that our posh uncle? <laughs> Listen, he probably tunes into the podcast, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> mention any names, man, and get myself in a legal legal issue. Um, but yes, it is our posh uncle. <laughs> anyway, so. I think when I first started off, I think like everybody, when you first start off, if you don't take some time to invest in finding a great legal person to help with your property purchases or whatever you're doing, nine times out of 10, the agent will say, oh, why don't you use our in-house visit? Or, uh-uh. Why don't you use this firm that we recommend? And uh-uh. yep. And the reason why this guy's making that sound is because nine times out of 10, they are shit. They just have a shitload of cases to get through. They're not going to do anything adventurous for you. They're not going to do anything more than they need to do. Uh, In fact, they're just going to tick box exercise. Have we done this? Have we done this? Have we done this? And nine times out of 10, they're going to ask you to sign a shitload of terms and conditions saying that we're not going to cover you for this. We're not going to cover you for that without explaining anything to you. Um, So I think when you first start, that might be your point of call. But I think nowadays things are a little bit more difficult. Sorry, a little bit more different. Whereas you've got networking events, you've got social media where you can out and outright ask people for recommendations for legal solicitors. And for myself, it was recommendation. It was recommendation of going through a few very, very bad ones until I found a few very, very good ones. And when you find those good ones... You hold on and you don't look anywhere else, you know, Mm -hmm. because you trust them. You know they get the deal done. They don't sit around there sitting on your file, sitting on your paperwork saying, oh, it's Friday at three o'clock. You know what? Forget it. I'm not going to go for a... Or it's Monday at 9 a.m. I can't be bothered or any bloody time and day. Yeah. Yeah. So if they can't be bothered on a Friday and they can't be bothered on a Monday, that doesn't leave them many days when they are bothered. And if they're busy, God forbid, on those days, they're not going to be doing anything at all. So, yeah. You want to find someone who is there, who 
has your best interest at heart, I would say, who knows how important a deal is for you, especially if you're in a situation where you're buying stuff through, say, bridging, or you're buying stuff through auctions, where you need things done really, really quickly, or you may have even negotiated a deal based on speed. You need to know that the person in your power team is thinking on the same wavelength, has the same energy, and wants to get this done like you. So for me, it's been a lot about recommendation and talking to them really you know and finding out what they are and i think the longer you work with a solicitor the you get to see if they're good or if they're bad i agree i mean look online reviews are good as well price is a factor i think me and james both agree though we will you know pay more for a better service and a better sister but sometimes you know you get quotes that are just like why do you exist sorry what, what kind of quote is this like you know do one um but it's it's funny though speaking of solicitors because obviously they're meant to be detailed and I don't know, detail oriented, right? Because they're checking leases, they're checking freeholds, they're <clears throat> making sure that these serious legal documents are correct. Now, I have an, I had an incident a few days ago. Got an email from our our uncle, our posh uncle, and <laughs> uh, afternoon touch. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I uh, hope you're well. Yeah, and uh, he said, uh, "Hi, Tej, uh, I've reconciled your account. Uh, he's leaving the firm, so going somewhere else. He didn't tell me where. I did. I did ask. Do you think, he, fr- do you think he's been fired?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, he still did his. I mean, he did his job. Hold on, hold know? on. He left how much money that he owed you? Seen on the account. So, what happened with you guys, Ted? Uh, by my reckoning, I, I believe you're owed four thousand four hundred twenty-seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "You what, bruv? Dada, where has this money been? I was like, you be keeping me starving. I haven't gone to Whole Foods in like a month. Were you secretly keeping... really happy though when he said that 4,000? No, I was confused. First thing I said to him was, yo, yo, hold on. Where has this come from? I was like, I don't want to be involved in your money laundering. I was like, Listen, where? I was, I was anxious. I was like, oh, f-. I was like, shit. Why? Like, why does someone owe me this much money? Like what I was, I, I, I was ready for, to fight. And he goes, oh, well, by my reckoning, you know, when you paid, uh, you, you know, you paid 10% at auction and our accounts department didn't, you know, verify that, even though you told us it was an auction purchase. And so, you know, it was overpaid. And I was like, oh, right. So you didn't check it out source and it's been sitting there for how long? And only now, because you're leaving, were you going to tell me about it? And, I, you know, I would have worked out in about three or four months, maybe when the, I did the accounts and I reconciled everything fully. But bloody hell it's a lesson for us as well like in other time i was buying i don't know three or four other properties corona just hit i was just doing what the solicitor said essentially in this case also under the the pretense that you know solicitors are pretty easy to you know go against in terms of they have insurance you Mm. can't you know i mean there's not really much of an argument in certain cases but yeah i was like right and then you know four and a bit grand came into the account and i was like right okay then this is great but secondly what you know what is this nonsense but you know what though a lot of people on instagram and on socials have a lot of complaints about solicitors now Mm. i don't like my solicitors so pcs legal and insight law the two main ones i use fantastic amazing um i work with john smart insight law no one else um they are amazing and the only solicitors i have to complain about are the other side you know it's always the other side shuffling their papers you know sitting there doing nothing taking months to get everybody and like, I actually have no complaints about mine, um, which is unusual, I suppose, right, James? Because we normally have something to say about everything. You must have gone through a few bad ones, no? No. So I started off with PCS on my first purchase. 
And then the second one was... Is that something that was recommended to you in the auction pack or something? Yeah, so big up man like Johnny. Um, he built, or he, he was selling a software to solicitors, like a back-end tracking, like a CMS for solicitors, basically. And he just recommended them. He said, look, you know, he, he was an Essex geezer. He said, look, they're in Essex, they're all right. You know, the, he recommends them highly. I said, cool, whatever. Did a little intro, worked with them was great from the first deal. I mean, yeah, of course I had to sort of, you know, give a bit of a kick and a push, but I think you've got to think of it from their perspective. If I was a solicitor, right. And you're the, and James is the, you know, the buyer and he's not really pushing me and he's not really saying, come on, lads, I want to get this done. Am I going to rush it? No, because Tedge is over there hustling me. I'm going to get his shit done. Mm. Whereas James is not that fast. And so you have to let them know from day one, look, I'm an investor. Speed is important. Let's get a move on. So ever since then, yeah, to kick him out the arse few times, but you know, that that is not a complaint. That is life. So, mm. and then I work with insight on the second and, you know, bridges and remortgage ever since. And no problem. I've done like 15, 16 transactions, I think with, with both of them all together a little bit more. So yeah, the other side solicitors annoy me though. Like really, really annoy me every time. I don't know why. I don't know why. Do you find the same James? Yes. Yes. You know, they will say, okay, well, the other side hasn't submitted this. The other side have got queries on this. The other side have got queries on this. You can't do this. And you think to yourself, you've had six weeks to do this. Why are you bringing it up on the day of completion or the day of exchange or a couple of days before we're supposed to be getting this done? Surely you've had a chance to review this or are you just getting round to it when someone gives you a kick up the ass and says, hey, are you ready to exchange? Are you ready to complete? And somebody at the other firm goes, oh, shit, we better read our paperwork and get stuff done. You know, it's the same. I think one thing you said that was good there was where you said you've got to be very clear with them and say, like, like you made it quite clear to your solicitors that, yes, you're an investor and speed is of the essence to you. And I think if you're saying that straight away, maybe they're putting you into a different box over everybody else and thinking, you know what, let's not upset this guy. He's already told us what he expects. But having said that, they can't control what the other side does. You know, they're only in control of what they can do. I suppose your solicitor could be giving the other side a kick up the ass. But yeah, I've generally found the other side are either very, very keen to get shit done. Like, I mean, super keen or they're just so relaxed and they just don't give a monkeys. Yeah. I think, you know what? It, it's one of these things that, you know, what I've, I've realized your solicitor can do so much. The agent can chase so much. And the other side always seem to reply to the agent, but not to the other side. It's like solicitors when they get a deal. It's like, a, it's like a, a Western standoff. They look at each other with their guns ready <laughs> and they just look at each other and, they just, and then they dance around. They don't speak to each other. They don't, even shoot a bullet they just look around and keep dancing around each other like opposite ends of a magnet to see how long one can ignore the other one for and i'm like what is wrong with you lot like like dislisters hate each other why can't you just talk to each other like adults but no let me jump in and be the one to you know to give everyone a kick up the arse. but some of the solicitor stories you hear you know i mean look they are regulated generally by the sra shit gets pretty serious for them if they mess around but you know, some are just, some will lose you deals. I know people on Instagram who've said, look, I've lost deals because this lister was so slow. And you know, it's one of these things. Sometimes you think, Oh, you know, is it the investor? Are we not giving them the right details? Are we, you know, is it like with brokers? Yes. A lot of, bro- you know, a lot of brokers can be bad, but then a lot of us can be bad and not give the right information. 
With solicitors, though, I don't think it's the case. I'd say most of us are pretty sensible at getting them the basic, you know, documents, IDs, whatever they need to go ahead and get it done. But it's like solicitors, when they get cases, when they get, you know, files, they just sort of don't mind letting them pile up. There doesn't seem to be an impetus to clear them off the desk. Well, with certain solicitors, of course there is, right? Because that's when you get paid. No, no, no sale, no fee generally. Um, But... You know, I think the legal field is a bit like it can be a little bit mysterious, right, in terms of understanding what certain words mean, what certain phrases are. And of course, our guest who's coming on is is going to clarify that for us, James. But I mean, you know, when it comes to your bad experiences with solicitors, what were they like? What were they doing that made them bad and you not want to work with them anymore? I think the biggest thing is communication. I think the second thing is solicitors like to tell a lot of lies and it's quite easy. It's They're quite embarrassed when they get found out because, <laughs> you know, it's quite easy for you to find out, especially if you've got an agent involved with a seller and a buyer, you can ask the agent, hey, go and ask the solicitor what's going on or go over to the other side of what's going on. And they'll say, oh, well, your solicitor hasn't done this yet. And you're thinking, okay, <laughs> he's telling me this. And then you go back to your solicitor and say, look, I know you haven't done this because they've told me I haven't done this. You know, he gets his knickers in a twist and so forth, so on. I think for me, the biggest, the two biggest things is, again, it comes down to communicating, keeping me in the loop about things that are going on. And you know what? If you haven't done something or if you're running behind or you just haven't got the time to do it, just be honest about it, man. Fuck's sake, we are all human beings. Sometimes we just don't get shit done on time. It's when they start lying about it and digging themselves a a hole, a bigger hole. And I know our uncle friend has done this in the past where he (laughs) said he's done certain things because it's funny. We actually, I actually had uncle working with our guest, uh-huh. So there, there was a lot of kind of he was like this he was like this he was like this he was like this there was a lot of that back and forth he don't know what he's talking about he's stupid he's sick. <laughs> so it's great when you're in the middle because you can go to one side and ask their opinion you can go to the other side but yeah lying and poor communication is a big one for me and you know what i've, I've learned recently because i've sold three of my houses one just completed two are completing um via Instagram. So I'm speaking directly to the buyer now. And also they, one of them, no, two of them are using my recommended sister insight. I'm using PCS sell it. The other one's using like his recommended one, like near us who I kind of, I'm aware of. And when you're speaking directly to the seller and they're not just some, I don't know, random family or something, you know, when they're actually like an investor who is cool to kind of talk to you daily, you get updates from them and you also hear from them like this list is not replying to me or this is not happening. And so honestly, this these sales have been pretty much no stress. When is a sale ever no stress? There's always some some BS, right? But because I'm speaking to the seller, I know exactly what, or at least I'm what I'm told, is going on. I also know how their solicitor is responding to them. The best thing, though, is when their solicitor or let's say you come up against a solicitor who's pitched you business before and you see how shit they are at the other side, it always makes you think, hmm, interesting. You want to pitch your business and be all, you know, blah, 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 blah. We want your business. But then actually, when you experience them at the other side, you're like, hmm, if that's what you're like. Why am I going to work with you and my necessarily? Right. They haven't done. They're not acting in a way they should. When you speak to the seller, or, sorry, or the buyer, well, or or e- basically the other party, wow, <clears throat> life becomes 
so much easier because you can get a response generally, you know, same day or you can get an actual, yes, searches are back. This is back as opposed to we are waiting on this. We are doing this. So, but James, I think, you know, when you first start with a solicitor, like I was saying earlier, you have to kind of say, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. Here's how many I'm buying. Here's how much business could be exclusively yours. These are the timescales I work to, you know, do you, are you comfortable with this? Are you the right person, you know, for me? Like if you're not someone who works with investors usually, then this is probably not going to work. Gauge who they are, get it in writing. Now look, they're never ever going to agree. They're going to say, we will do our best to complete by this date. We will do our best to meet your criteria. They'll never ever admit it. If they do, they just won't. They never will. But it's important to have that convo, right, James? To so just state who you are so they know what the deal is. I think you're managing expectations from day one, aren't you? That you're not leaving them any room for fault because you're telling them, look, hey, this is how I expect you to work with me. This is how I'm going to work with you. Let's just agree to that. And then everybody's happy. Mm. And, you know, people like... Uh, what, what do they say the general like conveyancing time takes to buy a house? Like what is it? Three months in the UK? Is that the average or something? Mm, mm. That's that's for me. I don't know for you and probably most of our listeners. That is a very long time. That's mm. I'm getting pissed off at the 28th day. I'm like, nah, who, who is the issue right now? Let's solve this because you and I both know, and lots of our listeners know the stages of a legal conveyance. And they know that it really is not that difficult. A lot of it is a checkbox exercise, checkbox exercise that, you know, they have to get through. And, and a lot of diligence, I suppose, is the kind of the thing that takes time. Mm. But, you know, there's no reason things can't be done quickly. I know of people who, you know, what's the date today? So when we're recording this, it's the 22nd December. I know someone who has a sale agreed on the 22nd and they completed before Christmas. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny you say that because I reached out to our guest actually because I'm buying a, a property downstairs from where I live and I asked him... I Is said, that the one you leak your water into all the time and pretend you don't? Yeah, that one. Great. It's a big legal... Actually, there's a big legal case going on on that one as well. Maybe we could discuss that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I'm now buying it and I reached out to our guest and I said to him, hey, listen, how quickly can you get this completed for me if I was buying it cash and I didn't really need the searches doing on it because I know about the property anyway. He's like, transfer the money to me. I'll get it done in 48 hours. Boom. What more do you like what that? In it. Mic drop. What more do you want? I mean, when you get a response like that, you think to yourself, you know what? Now I feel confident going in there and getting this deal done because I've gone in and said to him, I'm a cash buyer. I can get the deal done in this time amount. You know, my legal team's on side. And when your legal team turns around and says to you, yes, 48 hours, drop me the money. You think, yes. You know, he's speaking my language. He's on my wavelength. He understands how I work. So and, it can be done quickly if it needs mm-hmm. to. And there was no, oh, blah. He literally said, transfer the money. We'll get it done. Because mm. and I know he will. Right? We both know he will. Um, of course, this this always happens, though our side are ready then of course the seller who wants a quick sale mm. ends up taking two months and you're like excuse me uh, i was ready like quick sell my ass never a bloody quick sale and that's something for people who are listening who are new actually if your vendor says they want a quick sale yeah look a lot of the time they they will and you're 
you know, you saying, look, 14 day completion, blah, 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 you need to do it. But generally speaking, so many vendors say they want a quick sale and then it takes so long. All my longest sales have been people who said we need a quick sale. Mm. That's not necessarily like the most common situation, but you just look at that and think, well, what's the point of me being ready, having my legal team, potentially paying extra fees when y'all ain't even setting your IDs to your solicitors? Yeah. And you know, one thing really annoys me on the other side, when people pick solicitors, and often these are people on the high street, the little dinghy offices who send letters. Like, like, so our guest today has had a letter from one of the other side solicitors and he showed it to me and it literally said, um, dear PCS legal, blah, blah, blah. Um, we are waiting on searches full stop. So the other side, my guy printed a whole A4 piece of paper. He killed, he killed 2% of a tree. Yeah. Dickhead thing to write what he could have texted to and what yeah. he could have emailed or I can send in a pigeon. I don't know, but he printed and folded and stamped and sent a letter to say, we are waiting for searches. I mean, you like, I get, you know, we send stuff in paper because it's official. Mm, it's 2020 mate. Like whatever papers means nothing. Mm. So things like that is so irritating. But you know what? This is the good thing about uh, our next guest. He's got that whole CRM online system where you are kept up to date. When the searches are in, you get a pinged email come across saying, you know, your searches are in. Some Okay, sometimes I suppose when he's used to dealing with people on text message and quick messages on the phone, he may not always use that system. But yeah, mm. for somebody who's new, who's got that notification system that's telling you what stage you're conveyancing is at, that's powerful stuff, man. That saves a lot of bother. That saves a lot of people getting stressed out because when things are getting done, notification goes out, notification goes out. Again, it's when you're leaving shit to assumption and you're assuming your client knows that you told him that the searches were done when actually you just thought about it in your head and thought, oh, I'll just send him some brainwaves. It don't work like that, man. The tech, that's a really good point, you know, because it's like, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if they still do it, but Domino's used to have like, a, when you order pizza, They'd kind of show you the process. They'd say it's being built or whatever, oh, made. in the actual shop. Well, it was kind of like on the computer screen. They'd yeah, like yeah. just show you a, a cartoon of like the person making it, it going in the oven, saying being made, delivery, the little driver on it. Like it was quite an interactive little update. Which I mean, I suppose when we're hungry, we are sitting there staring. <laughs> Where's the bloody pizza coming? But, but like that's what solicitors should have is a system where instead of having to email and that time-consuming stuff this thing connects with them and tracks what they're doing. And once they've sent inquiries, sent replies, whatever, sent the contract pack, like you said, and you know, it gets a notification and we know straight away where we're at. And if it's visual, even better, we can see like a timeline of, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here. And if the agent can pop into that as well, we can all progress this sale and make it happen quicker. Mm. But obviously without technology, of course, it's still possible, obviously. Um, but, you just have to do a lot more manual work. And I don't know, I think it's quite nice seeing a visual, like the Domino's pizza thing, seeing the process that your house is undergoing. Now, James, speaking of technology, do you think like solicitors in the world of property is, um, is in 2020 yet? No, 
Now, we've talked about this before so many times. We've said that the world, the whole world of legal and solicitors and conveyancing needs to be disrupted. Somebody needs to do something like they've done to Uber, like they've done to Netflix. There needs to be a whole shakeup with the conveyancing process because it can't be taking this bloody long for people, man. You know, somebody needs to come out with a system where they just, you know, like the fintech banks, people like Revolut, people like Starling, they've mm. made it so nice to bank with people, you know, to mm. carry out your business banking. It's nice. It's visually nice. You actually like making a payment to someone, you know, there's ways of recording shit. So I think the same shit needs to happen in the legal system. We need a little Elon Musk to come along or someone <laughs> to come along and really just disrupt it hugely. Hugely, where the shits people in legal just disappear overnight and the good ones are willing and take it on and really excel even further. I think you made a good point there because things like Revolut, Monzo, Starling, they have a way when you sign up where they verify your ID. You take a picture of it and you take a selfie. like, And then obviously it timestamps it, location stamps it. Basically, it uses tech. And there's a little add-on they have, I forgot the name of the company, who basically verify you. Now, why am I having to scan my ID to my broker, he has to stamp it, rescan it, and then send it back to me to then certify for any oh, sort of wrong. process. The TR1 form, the DS1s, OS1s, why am I having to paper sign these, go to the next village, go to the post office, post the bloody thing along, spend money on that crap, seven quid for bloody, you know, express delivery, whatever it's called. Yeah, they take Amex, great. But, like, it's just, like, why are we having to do this when, you know, we could they could witness it on a video. It could all be digital. You know, we've got things mm. like HelloSign that could turn your webcam on and show it is you in the case of a court case. Look, it is me. Hi, I'm signing it. But it, it's just like land ledger dinosaurs. The legal profession are dinosaurs. Um, lenders are dinosaurs. And, you know, I'll admit we are probably advanced, more advanced than other places. But when you look at tech, like you said, or even insure tech or any type of non, you know, property thing, it's so, so modern, but the legal industry is so dependent on paper. Now, James, tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't it very, very easy to forge someone's signature? Mm -hmm. You just look at it and you copy it. Now, ain't nobody in any where you send a signature to going to be reviewing that shit. No, they're not. What are they checking it against? Maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah. So tell me how that is somehow the wet signature, the blood signature is more secure than digital methods. I mean, I've never understood this. No one ever speaks about it, but I've never understood it. I agree with you. I think it's a waste of time. Or when they say, okay, you can sign it, you can scan it in and send it to us, but we must have the wet signature for the file. Yeah. <laughs> what difference does it make? You know what? It's one. Of, I feel like it's one of these compliance, insurance, you know, kind of details where they have to do it because of, you know, some compliance, some PI, ins- you know, just some like crap that if they you, didn't have it, it invalidates the whole policy. You know, you know, on that point, talking about insurance, you know what? I hate it when you go over to a solicitor and you say, hey, Mr. Solicitor, I'm using Mr. Hare a conveyancer here and he's charging me 500 quid you're charging me 1950 quid plus that why is that oh you know what line you get 
oh, well, our insurance is way more expensive than Mr. Conveyancer and you won't get the service. And you think to yourself, you're talking so much tosh because I <laughs> will pay this guy 500 quid or 450 quid, whatever it is. He might not have the bulky insurance policy, but he knows exactly what you know, if not more. And he's hungrier than you to get this job done, wrapped up and finished. You know, that's the only line a solicitor has ever come out with when I've asked them, what are the differences? Oh, well, our insurance is, is a lot more. And we, we, we do an in-depth check on everything for you. Okay. Well, you have to as a solicitor. So how does that make you different? <laughs> like, yeah. What, do you think my guy's just going to have a flick it and say, yeah, one year left on the lease. Yeah, whatever. Go for it. Buy it, mate. Solid. Yeah, but have you, have you felt that before when they start beefing? Like when with convey- us. You know, oh, when yeah. conveyancers start beefing, or sorry, when you go to solicit and say, I'm using a conveyancer, they're like, oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I have had that. And they said exactly what you said. Yeah. Insurances are different. We offer a better service. And actually, you know, I'm not saying generally, but in the one one case study I have, no, they didn't. Um, but I also find some sisters take it, but like I had some London firm, like bougie firm, all wearing suits, you know, them ones like proper black and white pictures, much like, shit. Ugh. And they were charged, they wanted to charge me like 2,800 plus VAT for a purchase that was like 40 grand, which I also paid my boys in where I was like a grand to do. And I was like, hold on, is something wrong with you? You're char- three, like two, eight plus VAT. And they, oh no, you know, blah, of service, world renowned. Blah blah. Oh, boring. Next. Wee. Hi there, boys. You're right. Hello. Well, thanks. Very well. Good. Loving all the branding around you and the coloured wall, everything, mate. Love it. I know. Look, do you know what? We've even got over here. Look, I thought I'd better put this here, surely. Oh well. Yeah. Look, at, oh, uh, look at that. Who's that handsome geezer? It, it, I know. I thought. I thought literally. I thought it was going to be some like Kelvin Klein model on the top of a card or something like that. And then I realised it was your face. I thought, oh, Christ. Okay. What can I say? What can I say? Hey, Ted, how comes I didn't get a card? Because, like, you, you know... Uh, yeah, anyway, says, moving on. James, it says in the card, my top ten friends. That's what it says in the card. Oh, come on, no, mate. Come on. <laughs> no wonder I got one. <laughs> <laughs> James, you were number 11. Sorry, man. It was, it was tight. You missed the card. Oh, <laughs> Just mate. about. Oh, mate. Um, so, Stu, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, okay. we've been, uh, we spent the last half an hour talking really nicely about the legal profession, obviously. God. <laughs> and uh, and how much property investors love solicitors and conveyances and how we all get along so well um <laughs> so we have a lot of questions for you and we yep. want to kind of maybe demystify the legal profession because yeah of course yep you know for property investors you see a lot of complaints you see a lot of this but you don't see a lot of love you don't see a lot of understanding yep. so it, well, it, yeah you're probably fine there's there's two there's two problems there's two trains of thought there's it's half of it people don't understand hmm um, and that's probably, again, half of that's our fault when we don't explain it properly. And then you've still got half the profession. And and, and this is the the um, what nobody gets, is that we still deal with people that are, how they run businesses and stuff like that, I, I will never know because they don't reply <laughs> to emails and then you get a letter in the post a month later that's like three lines long and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? I was but, telling James that, yeah, the letter we got from one of the one of the pe- like solicitors we were working with on the other side, and it, it said like one line to you, and you were you like, the same, "Yeah, you had the same thing on yours end." So it's just incredible. But that's, that's, I still get a pile of posts like that. Um, it's just, you know, it's just incredible. And that's half the our problem is whatever you do, you could be the best in the world. The quickest thing 
Um, but you've always dependent on the law of the other side. And if they're as slow as anything, you've had it, you, you, you know, just can't. And you know what, like when it comes to the other side, they're always slow. Like no matter what, the other side are just like, I've never been working with another side unless I knew the seller or the buyer who was really, really good for it. Yeah. Is it the, is it not, the human? Not, for, or is it a, nah, it's not, it's not, it's not, nah, not always. Sometimes they are quick. It's just luck. Mm. It's it's just lucky. You know, if, if you get um, a certain group of lawyers, see, you've got to be a bit careful what you say as well, because like uh, so the biggest law firm in, in, in our industry are called Premier Property Lawyers. Okay. Mm. And they deal with around about 12,000 completions every month. Not wow. year. Every How many month. do you do? Right. Okay. We do about a thousand. Right, okay. Yeah, and, and we, and we, would, we would be about a 10th biggest in the UK in terms of license glances. Okay. So, wow. so they do that. So we, that's doing a thousand. They're doing 12,000 per month. Jesus. Okay. They are an absolute monster. Now they take forever. They outsource everything. Um, and, and they have a terrible name within the industry. But I always, always say to all the guys when they knock premium property laws, I say, be a bit careful because I tell you what, I, I wouldn't mind trading my place with one of their sort of senior <laughs> directors and co-founders, <laughs> jumping, jumping in their 911 when they go home or their Ferrari <laughs> or their Maserati, just going back to their eight-bedroom, you know, countryside retreat um, or something like that. So it's what do you want as a law firm? Sometimes you've got to be a bit careful. What do you want? Out, you know, in life, and you know, people, I think sometimes get confused in the, you know, we're here to make money. At the end of the day, it's a business, mm. and just because other lawyers don't like us, if you're in the Premier Property Lawyers Band or whatever the case may be, who, who cares? If, if you're making loads of money, who gives a shit? You know, stuff mm. like that. So it's and it always, it always makes me think. Though speaking of like making money, so many firms that like you know and we know that you come across just operate like in the seventies. And it, yeah. it just shocks me that they still get people walking through the door and they can still win business, but then yeah. they, they can't send an email. They can't do admin, which any of us can do. You know, you it's don't incredible. have to. It's, in, it's, it's incredible, as in incredible, <laughs> what you have to put up with. Really, 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 really. You know, we get stuff all the time. It's like, you know, I can't, we can't complete on this because we've not seen our client. And I'm a bit like, why don't you give them a call to FaceTime um you know and it's a bit like facetime it's like yeah just give us we do it all the time you know if, if we're in a sticky wicket last minute i can't get instructions i just facetime them yeah you know and it's like oh we don't have company mobiles i'm like just do it on your own mobile i don't want the client to have my number block them after then just yeah. like, it's, not, like, it's a bit like oh god you know but it's excuse that, after that, excuse that is i don't know if they're excuses or they are what they believe like the mm. position and stuff like that and it's you know it's it's i mean look you know 50 percent of the profession must be absolute crap i think it's a bit of a dinosaur industry yes okay yeah (laughs) i love that it is and and and, and the re and and there's reasons for it as well the reasons for it and and the reasons we are where we are as a as an industry as a complete generalization is that there's not enough money within it Okay, so the the biggest problems we have are the overheads that that, that we sort of you know carry out in a file. So like here, we fluctuate anywhere between maybe two thirty, two hundred and fifty quid to actually run a file. That's what it costs us. 
And what does that mean? Because we, as investors, we're like, oh, opening a file, just like a, a piece of paper. What does it actually like mean when you say that? Oh, you know, opening a file is like, oh, crap. It means literally getting a file and opening it and put, you know, Tedjo <laughs> in it. That, that's opening a file. <laughs> um, but, but to actually run a file from start to finish, it would cost you to do it. So it would cost you, like Max say, like 250 quid. Wow. So, so factoring all your staff costs and all that? Yes, yeah, so if you factor in staff costs, but the biggest cost of all is indemnity insurance. So okay. if we make a cost, you're insured for it. Um, but we have to pay things like, um, it's something called a contribution fund. So if, for example, like um, we went bust, or let's just say I decided I was going to nickel the money, okay, clients don't ever lose out. Um, the governing body will compensate clients out of what's called um, the CLC or the Law Society's Compensation Fund. And um, things like that. But as a law firm, you're continually paying into these things. So, I mean, we we pay. Um, I mean, here our indemnity insurance is thirty thirty five grand a month. We pay for that a month. Jesus. We pay. I think it's seven grand a month um, to the CLC's contribution fund. A lot of the licensing would be say ten to twenty grand a month. So, I mean, we we, we here our, our operational costs are around about three hundred k a month. Wow. wow. So it's not just a Christmas drink up fund then, no? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but turning it around to sort of like others, the problem is it's just not the money within the industry. And because of that, you don't get excellent people come into the industry because they can't earn enough money from it now that the yields aren't there. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you – I would never, ever open up a law firm now. No chance. Yeah. It's only because we are where we are that it, you can make it work. That was only by sheer luck that I opened up 15 years ago. If, if I was doing it sort of within the last five years, you just, you got no chance. I think what you said there about those costs is going to open a lot of listeners' minds to actually, oh shit, you know, you do have these costs. Cause you know, we get told it by solicitors. Oh, we got this, we got that. And we're just like, oh, whatever. Actually, you never know that, how much they are, do you really? Yeah. yeah. That is, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I haven't done a calculation in, in the last three months, so I know it will be more because we've taken on some more office space and more staff. But we, we would need to make three hundred k a month to break even. Wow, <laughs> I mean, that's to break even. That is no profit whatsoever. That's just to break. I would say that's very impressive because, as me and James know from working with you, your fees are very fair. You know, yeah. like yeah. If given the service. That, don't forget, though, that's that's might be for you. That's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. But even if you were to charge, you know, retail, given yeah. your service that we've experienced, I would still think it's fair. Like, yeah, because I mean, of the if, 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 if you wanted me to make an argument for it, um, I, and, and I'm I, obviously I've got the rose tinted glasses on, right? But um, <laughs> if you put a zero on the end of it, I could make a good argument that that would still be value for money. You know, I can't think of another industry whereby, because don't forget from, from when we open a file or I just say <laughs> when we start um, to when we finish, finish and, and nobody really realizes the, um, the finish is obviously there's loads of admin at the back end um, and you've got to deal, you know, people obviously focus on completion. Okay. For us, completion is probably only three quarters of the way through. You've got another quarter still to go after you've completed and that's all the messing around with the title, clear of it, clearing it of any charges, that's submitting tax returns to the revenue for SDLT, possible payments to stamp duty if it's applicable. Then you've got to mess around with the land registry. Um, they've got in humongous delays at the minute. Um, when, when are they not? 
Well, you're right. They had humongous <laughs> delays pre-COVID. Um, and in fact, um, I couldn't really say too much about this, but every time I go on a course or whatever that's hosted by various people, the chief registrar at the Lambridge is always there. and I, I, He must have this pre-printed speech that he rolls out every year. Because what he was saying five years ago <laughs> is the same about getting in more staff, more training. Oh, God. And it's a bit like, oh, my God, you know. But what annoys me the most is I wish they would just be more blatant and just say, do you know what, guys? Tough, we've got these delays. Because if anyone really knew about it, it would be different. And and then I think if, if if it was so blatant that they had these problems, maybe sort of lenders... You know, um, general people that have bought and sold, they would be more understanding if they just knew about it. It's the mm. window that it's all going through when quite clearly it's not. And, you know, you said earlier about like the insurance, if you make a mistake, you know, it kind of protects yep. you. If a solicitor, the convincer does make a mistake, how easy is it for us to sue them? Is it quite straightforward because it's obvious? Um, yeah, yeah. You don't need to necessarily sue somebody, though, to recoup mm. any losses. Um, so it's an, it's an e- the answer is it's an easy process. There's two different types, you know. I mean, ultimately you're talking negligence, okay? And there's two different types. There's what you know. There's there's a, a mistake that somebody's made that a law firm would sort of say, yeah, look, you know what? This person's cocked up, okay? We'll claim on our insurance. Simple as. Then the person gets reimbursed. If you need to sue somebody per se, that's more where they're not admitting to the fact that there's been a cock up. I see. Two slightly different scenarios. I mean, that makes sense. I think it's just nice to know that we have that protection. I mean, I've never heard of a solicitor actually doing something that then they have to claim off. I don't know. Is it a common thing, do you find? Um, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not, you know, it's not abnormal, put it that way. You know, it does happen from time to time. And also, what, what everybody might not be aware as well is that, for example, if you have searches carried out on property, those searches also have indemnity insurance. We've, we've got a claim going through at the moment where a search came back, said that the road was publicly maintained, and it's not. It's a private road. Ah. Yeah. So Still, I've got a question for you on the basis yep. of protection and insurance and everything. Yep. Have you ever had an incident where, you know, they tell you to be careful of checking the bank account details, lots of fraud going on incidents yep. like that? Have you ever had a client where they've been subject to that, where they've transferred the money into a bogus account? Those. You serious? No. So that's something Please. complete. That's called cyber insurance. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And we are susceptible to that all the time. Because obviously, if you if you think about the logic, you know, if you take Friday just gone, okay, we had about sixty million in our client account, right? Oh, okay, you, know, you got any? You got any spare? Run off, believe me. Yeah, there was sixty million. But because if you think about the logic, all those people that are completing, all the mortgage monies that are coming in, all the balances <laughs> that are coming in, you know, there's loads of it. So, of course, we're such a target because the levels of money that we hold in that client account. And, you know, you've, you've only got to have one person slip up once. Wow. Okay, and then normally getting a couple of hundred grand or something similar. So we are a massive target. We have to spend, again, tens of thousands every bloody month on it. Um, it's a frigging nightmare. And, and, and the annoying thing about it as well is that clients aren't always understanding. We had a client today moaning about it. And we're like, look, we've got to carry out this due diligence because you know, your bank statement doesn't match. We're trying to send money back to you. It says that the name on the account is not the name on it. We don't want to take any chances. You know, I'm trying to send you underground for God's sake. 
you know, yeah, because the, the bank accounts have got this new verification check, haven't they, where they check it against your name, and if you're not on there, they won't let you send a payment, or you can skip it at your own risk. You can skip, you can skip it at your own risk, but you know what the annoying thing about that is? What they don't tell you, not all banks subscribe to it. Right. So, for example, like Metro Bank, don't subscribe to it. So if you try and send a payment to Metro, that won't come up. Uh... Oh, God's sake, it gets worse. And we have a problem with bloody Santander all the time because Santander, when you try and redeem a mortgage with Santander, the bloody account stuff doesn't match. They've got a gremlin on their system. They've had it all since day one. Everyone knows about it in law, but yeah, it doesn't match. It's the same with Tide with my bank account. They, it never matches. It, yeah, it gets so they go, yeah, all the time, so, yeah. So this is it. So the bloody problem that it is, you're, there are times when it won't match anyway, which again is a nightmare. So have you ever had a situation, Stuart, where a customer or a client has actually lost their money completely and you've not been able no, to do anything? No. Okay. No, we've always managed to, oh God, touch wood, always managed to rectify. I mean, some banks do cover their own insurance, like Barclays, for example. So uh, if there's been a legitimate fraud, Barclays will pay out their insurance before they recoup the money. Um, but normally the banks are quite good in that they've got this kind of pact where they um, – you know, if you send money to one, you know, that they'll work together to get those accounts stopped and traced. Mm. Um, so it's really important that you report it straight away. It's a really good question, James. No, it's really good to know, man, because I've always wondered, fraud. like, you know, when yeah, they say fraud, to... is, fraud is absolutely massive. And the problem we have um, in dealing with it is that we can be as due diligent as you like. But of course, it could, it might not be us that gets hacked. And we spend tens of thousands every month you know, messing around with passwords for things that, you know, galore, all kinds of antivirus software. And um, we subscribe to something called the Safe Moose Skin. There's so much we do, but it only takes the client to be hacked. Um, and, and and you won't know. We, we did actually have one about two weeks ago where um, it was the client themselves that went on a, I can't remember what website it was, it transpired that they picked up a virus, they were hacked. And, of course, you're emailing the client, all of a sudden that hacker stops that email retranscribes it and, and then before you know it you're getting sent back um you know bank details that are not theirs and things like that but we, we just simply combat we we use facetime all the time with clients we don't know we always use facetime because you know we will not send money uh, if, if we're not if we're dealing with a client that's just a one-off client one-off transaction we'll facetime that client at the end just to make sure that whatever happens, we're looking at that client thinking, yeah, that's definitely the person. I'm going to take their bank details over the phone, then double check it against what we hold just to make sure you can never, ever, ever rely on an email. Never. That's, dude, this is so, so important. But also, all I'm hearing is a logistical nightmare after nightmare after nightmare that you were kind of quite responsible for. So how, like your role within PCS, obviously it's a big company doing a lot of transactions. Are you doing the conveyancing are you doing the quite logistical direct like what is your role um as a generalization i manage the practice so it's you know i do everything so i've got a limited caseload so nowhere near what some of the conveyances here would have but a, a limited um caseload for, for, for sort of special clients kind of thing um but it's more overseeing um complex scenarios sorting out things that have gone wrong but it could be anything we we generally are split into four departments here and um, so we have like a new business department and a sales department we have course called a post-completion department that's all the admin out of the back end mm-hmm. accounting 
um, and then the fee earning, which are all the conveyances and their teams. So I just oversee the whole thing. We've got offices in London, Onga, mm-hmm. Wickford, Basildon. So I oversee the whole the whole jazz. Wow. And, you know, another thing that's a bit mystified for, um, it's kind of like opening a file, is when solicitors say exchange and completion. Now, I never, I know what kind of happens, but what actually happens? Are you on the phone? Are you emailing? Are you like, what, like, what happens? Yeah. So basically, exchange of contracts is really simple. It's, it's just the point upon which a buyer and seller become legally bound. And that is a telephone conversation between two respective lawyers um, and you'll go through the contract, you scribble all over the contract. That's why conveyancing, as far as I know, is the only sort of, com- you know, only contract somebody signs where they're not legally bound by it straight away. Um, because, you know, it's signed in preparation for the exchange. Um, people always say to us, oh, when's the exchange date? When's the exchange date? Now, there is no exchange date. It's when everything's ready, we try to exchange it. Um, but if you're in a chain or, or if the seller's not ready, the buyer's not ready, somebody's not ready, it won't then exchange. There's not a, a designated date that it will be. It's when all the seller's um, stuff's ready, all the buyer's bits are ready, um, both parties then try to exchange. And that is simply a telephone call. You go through all the details on the contract. There's a formula which goes into the contract. Um, the time um, is all noted on there, who's dealing with it, so that the exact time the buyer and seller are bound is noted. And the formula is like a, a series of implied undertakings. So the reason it's called exchange is that if I'm acting for a buyer, somebody else acting for the seller, once we've done that conversation, the contracts, they literally exchange in the post. Simple as that. Okay, that's why it's called exchange. Um, and the undertakings are that if you're acting for a buyer, you're going to send the seller's lawyer the deposit money, Um things like that. And the same on completion, there's lots of implied undertakings to ensure that things will happen. And, you know, a lawyer can't all of a sudden, all of a sudden sort of stick two fingers up and say, I'm not doing that or I'm doing this or whatever. It's all preset when you exchange. And then when you complete, it's a phone call again? Um, it's, yeah, a series of phone calls, a money exchange that's satisfying parts of that contract. So if you're simply buying a property for 200k, and there's no caveats to it whatsoever, and it's just straight 200, is literally sending 200 grand from a buyer's lawyer to a seller's lawyer. Again, same with clients. You know, you've got to check out that seller's lawyer's account and not being hacked, so on to fold, make sure that everything's cushy. Money goes over, um, and then key release and all that kind of things dealt with. And what? how would you define undertaking? Undertaking, it's a legally binding promise. Ah, I like that's that's a, I like that. That makes a lot of sense given Le- yeah. a legally binding promise that if given by a qualified person, being a licensed conveyancer, legal executive, or solicitor, if they breach that undertaking, they can be struck off. Oh, it's that. Oh, wow. Okay, yes. that's really- why. That's why, as a generalization, in most circumstances, you can rely on an undertaking. I didn't know that last part. That's pretty useful yeah. now when I'm speaking yeah. to so sellers it's, and buyers. It's, it's that, yeah, it's that serious. But people oh, often wow. get confused with undertakings because they think that you can just give an undertaking willy-nilly. But yeah. you, as a lawyer, you have to be in 100% control of those circumstances to give the undertaking because obviously the implications if you breached it. Wow. It's fascinating. I love the law. It's amazing. James? <laughs> sure. The battle of the conveyancer and the solicitor. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that, because every time I've spoken to a solicitor and said, oh, we're using a conveyance, and he's like, 
oh, you don't want to do that. Or, you know, when you ask them, what's the difference in the fee? Why is it so much expensive with a solicitor? And they're like, oh, well, our insurance costs more. And that's generally as much as I know about it. Yeah, absolute tosh. Rubbish. Um, basically, um, you'll have firms of licensed conveyances and you'll have firms of solicitors. And within those practices, you will find that, you know, a, a, a CLC firm could have solicitors that work for them. And a firm of solicitors could have licensed conveyances that work for them. So as a generalisation, um, you know, we, we're a, firm, a CLC firm, so we specialise in property law. That's all we do. We do wills and probate on the side as well, but we specialise in property law. So if I was trying to sell it, I would say that we are specialist property lawyers. OK, if you're solicitors, you carry out all different types of law. So you could be doing conveyancing, matrimonial, criminal litigation, you know, whatever. Um, so our sort of genre of work doesn't mix being CLC. Um, but in my opinion, there's there's no difference. I've had solicitors. I've had licensed conveyances. I've had unqualified staff that have been doing it for years all work for me. And in my opinion, there's there's no difference. You know, if you give generally a matter to, to, to any sort of person of any ilk, they generally all do it the same. The skill sets are juggling thousands of things that are all ongoing, all ongoing at, at any one time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why the massive price difference as well um i think there's generally a higher price if you go to a solicitors i think generally and i'm speaking in generalizations they're more high street firms that probably have bigger overheads in terms of rents and uh, mortgages and so on and so forth whereas a lot of firms of licensed conveyances are more sort of remote working um that kind of thing so as a generalization um solicitors would be slightly more expensive but but certainly not in all cases there's you know there's, there's big sort of online firms and solicitors now that that compete with us it's not what it used to be one of the um issues that firms of licensed commences used to face is that we weren't on the um panel from for, for lending institutions um in recent years now Virtually all banks um, recognise licensed conveyances. So I think maybe Precise being one. Other than them, um, most big banks now um, recognise licensed conveyances. And as time goes on, I know the CLC are lobbying sort of um, you know, bridging companies and, and others. So I expect as time goes on, it will change furthermore. Um, and, you know, in that respect, um, I, I think it won't be that much longer and licensed conveyances will be able to act on, on any sort of financial matter. I mean, is the is the SRA a more serious institution than the CLC? Is it stricter? Is it more like, I don't know, is there a real difference or is it just for solicitors? No, basically the SRA regulates solicitors, the CLC regulate um, conveyances. There's, there's loads of arguments that you, you could give if you wanted to phrase it sort of one way or the other. Um, you know, you could say that we are a specialist in that area of law where a solicitor might not be, they might cover sort of multiple areas of law. They could be a, a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I'm not certainly saying that, of course, but um, yeah, that, that could be sort of a scenario. But look, honestly, in my experience, there's not much difference between the two. You know, you, you'll get sort of solicitors that are highly qualified, that have studied multiple different, different areas of law, that have only ever practiced in conveyancing. Um, so again, they would then be a specialist property lawyer without the title saying it almost. So um, in my experience, there's there's no difference between the two. You've just got to bear in mind with firms and solicitors, things like their indemnity insurance as a generalisation will be more um, because they cover more aspects of law, whereas, whereas we don't. 
And, you know, given your... How many years have you been in legal? 23 years? 23 years. I know it doesn't look like it. And you're oh, well, I was going to say. I was gonna say. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, 23 years I've been doing it. So I started when I was 18. Wow. What is What are some of the weirdest or maybe complex legal issues you've come across? Because I think me and James probably do some quite simple stuff in legal terms, and you've probably seen a whole range of stuff. No, nope, you're totally wrong. Right, okay, <laughs> you're totally wrong. The stuff that you guys do as investors... I would say tends to lean on the more complex side. Oh, um, yeah. People get often get confused with um, sort of property type. Um, and for example, um, you know, you could find that there's um, like a leasehold property, a flat that's worth 50K. Um, I could be transacting on a, a, a house in Kensington that's worth 50 million. You could easily find that the 50 grand flat is more complex to transact on <laughs> 50 million pound property in Kensington. Um, for us, the value doesn't accord to any kind of um, complex. It's, it, 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 it doesn't really link. Um, it's all to do with the property title. So the more complex um, titles are, are always going to be leasehold titles, especially when you get to sort of shared ownership properties where clients might not own 100% of the property, um, where you've got like head leases, superior leases, lease of leases, stuff like that that's when it becomes sort of more complex. Um, and, and I suppose with some of the stuff that you guys do, the properties are um, not the average. You know, rarely do, will investors be looking at, a, you know, a semi-detached three-bedroom house, um, you know, on the outskirts of London. You know, the, the, you're normally trying to f- find a bit more, a bit more liquid um, than something like that. So quite often, you know, we, we've seen a lot recently where people invested uh, investing in sort of masonet type properties in areas like Bristol and Newcastle, which are common with things like Tyneside leases or crisscross leases. Um, that's something which has sort of entered the market more recently. And I, I know the guys in Newcastle and Bristol are probably shouting now thinking, oh, we've been dealing with these for years. Um, <laughs> but but they're, they're sort of spreading. Um, yeah, as a generalisation, leasehold property um, is a lot more complex um, than freehold. Um, and equally, how you construct a deal um, also becomes more complex because you could be dealing with sort of foreign investors, um, different containers that are utilised um, for, for buying purposes. So they can often be complex as well. Um, and, and just generally people's needs. Um, you know, you can have a, a simple person buying a simple property um, for investment or, or, or to live in. It's you know, the, the property ID is what makes it complicated or not. But your your guys generally, uh, as, as investors, um, the types of property you, you're looking at, there's normally, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's not the right word way to put it. But there's normally a little bit of a niggle. You know, you're looking for something. Or well, total shitholes usually, but. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't say that. But uh, <laughs> you're looking for something that you can obviously make money on. Right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't have to be something that's wrong with it, but you're looking to something that you can improve. And quite often, the legal context of it, you can improve the title as well. Um, and of course, you know, you're going to spend a bit of time on improving that title, making it simpler. So when it comes to be sold, it's, it's easier, so on and so forth. And, and, and obviously, you're I, think looking- you, I think you had an issue with my one recently, didn't you, where there was four titles all over the show and it, and it really threw the bridging solicitor somewhat and he almost uh, had a nervous breakdown. Was, yeah, see, see, they just didn't get it. Right, they just did not get it. But it wasn't four titles. It was, I think, it was two titles and four properties from memory. Okay. So you've actually got um, a title that includes two properties. 
Now, when that happens, nothing wrong with it. It just means that it's a bit crappy. It's a, it's a, it's a glorified mess, right, okay? It's just a mess, right, okay? And all you've got to do, you've got to get it registered. Once it's registered, you're, you're then going to sort that mess out. You're going to carve it up, uh, make it nice and nice and easy. A bit like, you know, like stereotypical sort of houses that are split into two flats, things like that. You know, you've, you've got one title, okay? You've bought the one title. The investor's then going to split the property practically, but you've also got to replicate that legally. A lot of people forget that as well and don't do that then until they've sold. But you've got to replicate what that investor's done um, on what they've bought from its legal context. Hmm. Well, I think my case broke our guy because he's leaving the firm now. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, the conveyancer won this time. That's it. One for the yeah. conveyancer, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Dude, have you ever worked with a sister who misrepresented? Like uh, on the opposite side. Oh, okay. uh, no, no, I, um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. James um, has. That that would be really, really, really unusual because as a lawyer, all you're really doing is representing your clients. So you act on their instructions. So I wouldn't. We, we've had clients that lie mm. numerous mm. times. You know, they'll <laughs> say, "Oh yeah, you know, no problem with that," and the client moves in, and you know, the whole thing falls down, or whatever the case may be. So. That wouldn't be uncommon, um, but an actual lawyer telling a pork pie um, would would definitely be unusual because you know their sort of qualifications at, at risk. You know, James, you had that right. I, I, yeah, with what the, with the flat that I bought, where they didn't disclose um, the ongoing issue with the lease. Was that was that the lawyer that didn't disclose it though? Did he know about it? I can't remember. Um, I think I think he may have done. Yeah. Yeah, they made they kind of kept quiet about it. They chucked it through auction, and we had a really good solicitor that picked up on it straight away and got me out of that auction purchase, which um, was a bit of a lemon anyway. So I was so <laughs> glad that there was a lie there because yeah, he just went back and said, "Look, none of this was disclosed on the on the disclosure form. You guys have lied. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to sue you for this." And I was shocked to get all my money back, even my auction. Yeah, you you might you lot. might well yeah you might well find that was the the client telling porcupines a seller more than the lawyer. Mm. But talking about auctions, the biggest thing on auction we get it weekly um, is it's become very fashionable for people to buy at auction, and you know people must not lose their heads when they go uh, and buy at auction because the amount of problems I see people buying is unbelievable. Where there's things like sitting tenants or restrictions on title meaning they may not be able to register their ownership there's a lot of you know there's a lot of problems out there um as as, as well as the bargains there's also the problems and people must be mindful of that because i don't know what you guys think but you know you're the sort of new celebrities now aren't you the of the uh the investor well well you know james is yeah i don't know about me oh leave it out <laughs> but it's I did, I did, how am i a celebrity i didn't even get a christmas card i'm still, <laughs> I'm still really upset about that but uh yeah the card up there but it, it, it's, become, it's become sort of um what's the right word it's become sort of very fashionable um now to buy a property and there's a lot of people that we speak to think that it's uh you know, like we, we get numerous calls every day. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up working. I'm going to go into buying property and blah, 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 blah. And they get their fingers burned because it's, it's become fashionable, I would say, at the mm-hmm. moment. And there's a lot of people now um, that, you know, want to buy, want to get into this kind of industry. And I think, dare I say it, and you guys might, might better elaborate on this, but I think they think it's a bit of an easy, 
an easy job here. <laughs> Bit of a get-rich-quick kind of scenario. It's, it's easy. I know a house. I can see one over there. I'll go and buy it. You know, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think people really, not well, a lot of clients we do, they fully yeah. understand what they're entering into. Um, and, and they think <laughs> that the yields are sometimes bigger than they are. And they don't account for any problems. That's what I majorly said. They've got no overlap on, on spend or anything like that. And, I mean, you guys must get it all the time. You know, whenever I sort of manage any kind of projects, they barely ever run on time and they're mm-hmm. barely ever the cost that I originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, why, that's why, Stuart, you need to not do it yourself and just invest with us. That's what you need to do. You know what I mean? You need to, don't bother with that hard work. Um, do you know what? Do you know, I, could, I could never do it because I, I would never know who to pick. Would I pick James? Would I pick Ted? Yeah. You know, I, I'd have such a big problem picking between the two experts. I, Stuart thank you so much for coming on the podcast this has been a real blast Um, and you have your own podcast right where can what's it called where can people find it yeah it's probably not as interested in as as your two but (laughs) purely legal related it's called conveyancing matters okay it's a a podcast and a youtube channel um that um i host it with lorraine richardson who's probably got double the amount of experience within the industry i have she probably won't thank me for saying that but, um, yeah, we just chat general rubbish um, about sort of losing the conveyancing world, problems that are ongoing in the profession at the moment. Um, and, you know, like every, everyone's well aware at the moment that the conveyancing industry uh, is creaking. There are problems. Um, the problems are the volume that we're trying to transact on, knowing that it's only for a limited time to the, you know, potentially to the end of March. And it's it's what's going to happen after March that's causing such a problem for us and, and such attention. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm definitely listening to that. I'm a bit of a legal geek as, as mine and Stuart WhatsApp conversations will, uh, <laughs> will allude to. Um, so Stuart, thank you so much. We'll put That's your okay. details, your email address, everything in the show notes for people. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Stuart actually has a part in the end of my new book and in the audio book. So if you like Stuart and you like what he's talking about, get the book, read his section as well. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Property Duo. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.